Once again, good morning. Glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, if this is your first time with us, we are uh, continuing this semester our study in the book of Proverbs. And um, we're seeking as men to heed wisdom's call, um, to listen as she calls out to us, and to, um, to, to hope to grow uh, to be men who are skilled in the art of godly living. Let me begin, just feel free men to grab coffee, uh, something to eat. Let me begin by praying for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Uh, we thank you for gathering um, us. We pray, Father, as we turn our attention now to very practical matters of, uh, of money and relationships and, um, uh, Father, in work, but specifically money this morning, that you would bless us. It's often um, a strange thing for some reason for the church to talk about money. Um, and yet we know that you talk about it all the time in the Bible. And so we pray that you would, uh, you would clear our hearts, that you would give us openness, uh, that you would help us to hear and to heed wisdom's call. Help us to examine our own selves, Father, to know how to repent and to be encouraged. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless us, that you would give us the wisdom that you have for us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So um, this morning marks uh, a turn in our study. Um, I wasn't here last week, but um, the last three weeks have served as an orientation to the book as a whole, and, and this morning marks a turn as we uh, now, for the next six weeks, engage in three issues, I just prayed about them, three issues that the book of Proverbs uh, returns to over and over and over again. The issue of money, um, the issue of relationships, and the issue of work. And the plan is to spend two weeks on each of those issues, starting this week uh, with the topic of money. If you spend any time in Proverbs, then you know the book has a lot to say about money. Uh, there are over 100 Proverbs that touch on matters of finance, matters of wealth, matters of poverty, etc. Uh, it, it seems uh, like a lot. It seems almost overweighted towards it, um, but it's not unusual. In many ways, uh, the, the amount of attention that the Proverbs gives to the issue of money is reflected in the canon as a whole, the Bible gives an enormous amount of attention to money. Well over 2,000 verses. And the implication, of course, is that spirituality and your financial life are deeply connected. That you can't operate um, independently, uh, financially in one sphere, and assume uh, that that is disconnected from who you are Spiritually, your spiritual life, your spirituality, and the way that you handle money, the way you pine for money, the way you manage your money, are deeply connected. Money is more than superficial. It gets at something that goes deep inside of us. So as you probably know, we can't read 100 verses this morning. I know you're a little bit disappointed. But we are going to read, we're going to get pretty close, I think. We're going to read quite a few. You'll see in your handout is two pages. This is uh, a representative selection that I put into three categories. Now, the challenge this morning is this. I'm going to reference some of these, but not all of these. When I reference them as we talk, I'm going to give you time to find them, but they're not in any sort of order besides the order I have there. I, I put them in three categories. Generosity. Um, what's the next one? What is it? Diligence and care. And then insight and warnings, okay? And so we're going to read all these together uh, this morning. And because we won't get to all of them in any sort of detail, but sort of hit at uh, representatives even in those categories, I want you just to mark the ones that, you, that sort of stand out to you as we read. 
so that you can return to those for yourself and think more deeply about them, okay? Let's read now God's word to us, starting with Proverbs 3, 9 through 10, the section on generosity. Proverbs says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, your vats will be bursting with wine. 1431, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. 1917, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Diligence and care now, uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. 1311, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gains little by little will increase it. 1423, in all toil there is profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. 227, the rich rules over the poor. The borrower is slave to the lender. 27.23, know well the condition of your flocks. Give attention to your herds. For riches do not last forever, and does a crown endure to all generations. 28.19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Warning and insights now, 10.15. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is ruin. 11.1. A false uh, balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. 11.24-26. Now, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and whoever waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. 11.28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. 13.23, the fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. 15.16-17, better is a little with the fear of the Lord then great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened calf and hatred with it. 16.19, it is better to be of lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. 18.10-11, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is a strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. 22.2, the rich and the poor meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. 22.22, do not rob the poor because he is poor, or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause, and rob of life those who rob them. 28.8, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit. Now, I need to tell you, that means profit that comes specifically from charging interest to the poor in order to keep them in poverty. It wasn't profit in terms of investing in equities or things like that. It was, it was oppressive profit. Um, gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. Uh, 37 through 9, two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food needful for me unless I be full. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still. And profane the name of my God. We're not going to read the last section now. We're going to stop there and look at what God has given us this morning. Okay, I want to basically do this. I want to touch on two things this morning. Okay, two basic things that will have a lot under them. 
One, I want us to think about the power of money, uh, money's power, um, the power it yields in us and over us, and secondly, the practical management of money. So the goal here is to look at um, finances, money, wealth from the inside out. And what I mean by that is that we're going to investigate what is going on in our own hearts behind our financial practices. The Proverbs gives us insight to do that. And then we're going to consider the wise, godly management of those resources in our possession. Now, I need to tell you, just for your own expectation, we're going to spend a lot more time on the first, the power of money, this morning, than we are on the practical management of money. Mostly because the second is more obvious if you look at the verses yourself. Here's what I want you to see. Wisdom accounts for, a wise man accounts for. Wisdom recognizes, wisdom understands the power of money and the practical management of money. Money and wealth from the inside out. Now let me say before I begin, unashamedly, um, I am drawing heavily on two resources this morning. One is a sermon from uh, a guy named Tim Keller in New York City on the Proverbs. The other is my class notes from seminary. And here's the deal. You may at some point hear the Keller sermon and think, you know what, I think I've heard that before. It's because he stole most of it from me. <laughs> I, can, I can pretty well, though, guarantee that you will never come across my seminary notes and all your spiritual wonderings. And if you do, then you've probably taken a wrong turn somewhere. But I do this morning want to give credit where credit is due. So thank you this morning to Dr. Tim Keller, Dr. Jack Collins. Thank you, I think. We'll see afterwards. Um, but they are the people that I'm drawing heavily on as we spend our time together. So first this morning, the power of money. The power of money. Two things I want you to get here under the power of money. First is this. The, uh, the power of money is a basic good. The power of money is a basic good. The power of money, I want you to see in its basic material goodness. And secondly, what Proverbs wants us to see is that the power of money leads to incredible spiritual danger. Number one, the power of money is basically good. The power of money also leads to incredible spiritual danger. The Proverbs touch on both. Let me show you how. First, uh, I want you to see the power of money as a basic good. What do I mean by that? Well, perhaps the first thing you'll notice, and maybe I didn't do justice to this, honestly, um, in 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 what I, I chose to pick out, but you need to read the Proverbs for yourself. You can blame me for a little bit, but not everything, okay? Um, but the first thing you notice that if you'll read through the book of the Proverbs is that the Proverbs largely talks about wealth and wealth creation in positive ways. In fact, if you read through um, Proverbs, uh, the wealthy and the wise mostly belong together. Um, wealth and wisdom seem to go hand in hand. The idea is that if you work hard, if you work well, if you save for the future, if you don't squander your income, on uh, worthless pursuits, then probably, most likely, uh, generally, you'll prosper. You'll prosper materially and you'll prosper economically. And let me tell you this, Proverbs does not just assume this neutrally. It doesn't sort of take a a back seat and just say, look, this is kind of how it happens. Proverbs actually commends this kind of prosperity, without a doubt. Now, why is that? Uh, Why is wealth commended? Wealth is commended in the Proverbs because the book of Proverbs assumes, listen to me, it assumes the the Genesis account of creation. That's the easiest way to say it. Proverbs shares with the rest of the Bible the same basic view towards the material world. Now, what is that view? 
Well, the creation account in Genesis teaches us that the material world is what? It's good. God made it. He organized it. He ordered it. He created stuff. And then every day he looks back as an artist and he says, you know what? I love it. It's good. It's good. It's not even unfair for us to say that God really is truly the first materialist. He loves, he enjoys, he blesses, and he cares for the physical world, and he wants us, as those who have been made in his image, to do the very same thing, to enjoy and to cultivate the material stuff and the material resource and even the material commodities of creation. But at the same time, listen, at the same time, Genesis tells us this, there is more at stake, (laughs) right? There is more at work than just the material. Early on, if you read the Genesis account of the cosmos, of how things came into being, we also learn to view the world as enchanted. As enchanted. That is to say, there is spiritual power behind the material, right? In Genesis, a snake is more than just a snake, right? Uh, In Genesis, um, a beautiful tree can be more than just a simple way to fix a craving, right? You follow me in Genesis 3, you see that happening? Uh, This is incredibly important. Here's why. The ancient accounts of creation, both Eastern and and Western, basically took a view of the world that said, look, either the material world is either an illusion, it's not real, or it's only the extension of a a far more real world that is spiritual. It's a shadow of another reality. Either way, the material world is not really the stuff of importance. For the most part, you can disregard it. The modern secular accounts of creation, on the other hand, say the material world is all we have. It's the spiritual world that's an illusion. Don't pay any attention to it. Everything that you perceive as spiritual power is just cells and atoms and coding and um, and, and energy. Disregard the spiritual. Only the material makes sense. What I want you to see is the Bible always holds these two together from the very beginning. The Bible always holds together the physical and the spiritual so that God loves and he regards and he cares for and he cultivates both and he expects us to do the same. So what does all this have to do with money? Well, on the one hand, you can't miss it. If you read the Proverbs, you find that money is good. It's a powerful good. You see it throughout the Proverbs. Money is the currency through which you engage the material power that God has called you to steward as his image bearer. Money is a basic good. But at the very same time, the Bible tells us that with the material comes incredible spiritual reality and spiritual danger. There is incredible opportunity for blessing and cursing because the material always involves us in our own immateriality. It always involves us in our hearts, our souls, the core of who we are that is unseen. The same time, the, the, look, the same time, put it this way, the proverb says, go and make money. Be diligent. Increase your wealth. If you read closely, maybe you saw it this morning, you'll also notice a myriad of warnings that basically say, take care as you do, or you will destroy yourself in the process. That's not talking about your outward, not necessarily your outward appearance in the process. You will destroy your soul in the process. Go make money, create wealth, steward the material blessings of creation, but but take care, take heed. You can lose yourself in the process. So money is a material good, but it also has the power to lead to real spiritual danger. I want to give you four warnings this morning, four systematic warnings that 
Proverbs outlines in this regard. I want you to write these down. You're going to have to return to them in your questions later. So just, just to write this, just make sure someone writes them down, okay? The first is this. How does money, how does money, the material good of money, lead to real spiritual danger? The first is this. Money has the power to corrupt your integrity. Okay? Money has the power to corrupt your integrity. I want you to look at 11 verse 1. Find that under the warnings and insights section. Look with me at um, 11 verse 1. Give you a chance to write that down. Money has the power to corrupt your integrity. Look at 11 verse 1 with me. Under the insights and warnings section. Again, you're going to have to kind of find these. I'm sorry. It is my fault. <laughs> no one else's. 11.1 says this. Is, is everyone mostly there? It says a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Now that word abomination is used most often in the Old Testament in conjunction with sexual sin. That's how serious it is. Sec- uh, horrendous sexual sin. A, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. And we don't, you probably don't use balances very often anymore, but um, very simply, I mean, you can, you, can, you can imagine it for yourself. A false uh, balance was a way of making money dishonestly. So a stone marked with a weight was used to set the price for merchandise. And so all fair pricing depended on what? The fair marking of the weight. And commerce hinged on a high degree of trust and transparency, much like it does today. The bottom line is this. The Proverbs assume that if you're hiding from customers or investors, or corporations, information that they would like to have to make wise decisions themselves financially, or being passively uh, misleading, or actively dishonest, then you've used false balances. Your integrity is being eroded away by the power of money. Case in point. I have one right before us. I mean, I don't, I mean, I've read a little bit on this. I don't know probably as much as you do. The Volkswagen emissions scandal. Falsifying pollution testing. That is a modern corporate example of false balances. Let me give you a personal example. Lying on a personal life insurance application to get a lower rate. That is a modern example of false balances. If you mislead financially for profit, and here's what you know. Money is corrupting your integrity. And it has the power to do that. Beware, it has the power to do that, <laughs> to, to, to entice you towards it. Here's a second warning that Proverbs gives us. Second warning is this. I don't know another simple way to say this, so this is just what it is. Okay, Money has the power to magnify self-absorption at the expense of community. Money has the power to magnify self-absorption at the expense of the community. Money has the power to magnify self-absorption at the expense of the community. I want you to look and look for um, 11, 24 through 26. I think this is also in the warnings and insights section. It is. I know it is, in fact. Chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. This is, a, this is three verses together, but I really want you to pay attention to verse 26 because that is, that's the, um, that is the, uh, the picture that it gives us. Excuse me. 11, 24 through 26 says this. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. Now listen to this. The, the people curse him who hold back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Okay, here's the image. Look, this passage is not about dishonesty. Um, this passage is not even a warning about breaking the financial rules, the legal codes. This passage is a warning about material ruthlessness 
within the rules. So a modern way to describe what uh, verse 26 is getting at is price gouging. Here's the situation. You've stored up grain. You've been diligent. You've stored it up. Uh, the grain is yours. It belongs to you rightfully. A famine hits, and people need grain to survive. Now, it is not illegal, maybe. It is not illegal for you not to sell. The grain belongs to you. But it is cruel. It is cruel. It is cruel to withhold your grain or to charge an exorbitant amount when doing so injures the social fabric of the people around you, the community around you. Hiking up um, the price of a drug at the expense of uh, the desperate and dying, it's not illegal, but it may very well be callous. And here's, here, here's the bottom line behind this one. What Proverbs is implicitly condemning here is financial practice with only one mind, and that is profit. It is condemning financial practice with one basic bottom line, and that is profit. If we are only asking questions, both personally and corporately, of how to get more and more and more, and we are ignoring the questions about how what we are doing is contributing to the good of those around us, to the flourishing of our neighbors, and the power of money has corrupted something inside of us. Keller says it very boldly. He says this, yes, Proverbs is condemning normal business practice in our society. And yes, he says, money has the power to make you believe that it's normal in the first place. So Proverbs warns against dishonesty, against the erosion of your integrity. It also warns against callousness, only considering profit in terms of your financial decisions. And thirdly, it warns money has the power to distract you from what's really important. Money has the power to distract you away from what's really important. There's so many Proverbs here. Let's look at uh, 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 chapter 22.1. I'll let you write for a second. Money has the power to distract you from what's really important. 22.1. I don't know where that is. I'm sorry. Maybe somebody can tell us. What section is it under? Warnings and insights. That, that's, the, that's, that's just the catch-all, you know. Warnings and insights this morning. 22.1. one says this, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Okay, I'm going to move now to 15, 16 through 17. I'm going to lump three together. You can just listen if you feel like it's hard, you're having a hard time finding it. 15, 16, and 17 says this, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than having great treasure and trouble with it. Better is a dinner of herbs, that means not much, right? Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. And then 22.2, I do want you to find this. This is warnings and insights, I think. Yes. Is it? Okay, 22.1. The rich and the poor, what? What does it say? Meet together, and the Lord is the maker of them all. Now, you might not recognize this, but here's what all three of those Proverbs have in common. All three assume, you, I, think you, I mean, I think you know this, but all three assume that there are things in your life that deserve more of your attention than money. There are things in your life that deserve more of your attention than money. Um, a good name. Love. The cultivation of love. The fear of the Lord. 
The last one assumes that the day of judgment deserves more of your attention than money. The Proverbs also assume that this might not be obvious and that wealth has the power to blind you to the concerns that account for a full life and has the power to distract you and make you focus on consumption as the center of who you are. It has the power to distract you from the for a full life and not just a life based on consumption. Now, insightfully, I think this is what, you know, if anything that he said, this is what makes the most sense to me. Keller, Keller connects this warning with busyness. Okay? He connects it with busyness. And the attitude goes like this. I've earned more. So now I, I need to spend more. And as I earn more and I spend more, I need to earn more because I am spending more. And no matter your salary, you continually feel strapped, like you're barely making it. And you can't slow down because the treadmill of consumption gets faster and faster and faster. A life of consumption is a busy life, and it leaves little room to think about the really important questions that God has called you to think about like this. What difference am I making? What difference does it all make? In the end, what is my life really amounting to? Helping. What will it be like one day to actually go and to meet my maker? These are questions that account, that help us to account for our full humanity, for a life well lived. And wealth has the power to divert our attention instead to things of lesser importance. It has the power to drive us into frenetic activity. It has the power to make you proud. Money has Look at verse uh, when you get done writing. Warnings and insights. Chapter 10, verse 15. It says this, A rich man's wealth is his strong The poverty of the poor is ruin. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is his ruin. What does it mean to say that a rich man's wealth is his strong city? Basically, it means that his money... His wealth is his place of deepest security and significance. That is exactly what an ancient city provided. An ancient city had walls to protect people from thieves and weather and injustices outside the walls of the city. It made people safe. And an ancient city was a place of cultural significance. If you lived in the city, you belonged among the important. Now, in that same section, I want you to look at Proverbs 18, 10 through 11. It says the same thing, but it, it adds a caveat at the beginning. 18, 10 through 11. Warnings and insights. It says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous, the wise, run into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is a strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. What this proverb suggests is that wealth is the most capable and obvious alternative to God. Wealth is the most capable alternative to dependence on God. Like nothing else, wealth can provide an alternative city from which you can draw your security and your significance. The very end of Proverbs, Proverbs 30, 7 through 9, you don't have to turn there, it just puts it another way. It says this, two things I ask of you, Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Then he says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is, uh, that is needful for me. And lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. What is he saying? Uh, um, hey, look, he's basically saying I'm nervous about money in general. <laughs> Not having it or having more than I need. I'm nervous about poverty um, because it might corrupt my integrity. But I'm also nervous about the power of wealth to make me proud in the face of God. I'm nervous about wealth to make me believe in my own instincts or talent or decisions or judgment or acumen or hard work are finally enough to give me what I most want out of life. And he's nervous for a good reason. Why? Well, the Proverbs have already told us. Uh, 22.1, wealth really is worthless in the day of judgment. 22.1 says, 22.2, excuse me, the rich and the poor meet together. And the Lord is the maker of them all. In other words, what 22.2 is saying, sorry, doing this. What 22.2 is saying is that, the, uh, the, that wealth is not nearly the strong city that it seems. It seems like a strong city, but it's not near the strong city that it seems. Why not? Well, think about it. Uh, wealth can't stop tragedy. Wealth can't stop death. It can't stop heartache. It can't stop loneliness. You can amass as much as you want, and your wealth will never love you back. Your money will never know you. It will never sacrifice for you. It will never identify with you in your pain and suffering. It will certainly never atone for your guilt. It will never rejoice over your transformation. Wealth will never look at you and call you a good son. It will never smile upon you as a father. But God will. What the Proverbs want us to see over and over again is that unless you see that God is the real power that your heart yearns for, unless you see that God is the true city, the true wealth for which you were made, you will never be able to wisely engage money as a good without it also becoming your God. The power of money is only a reliable power when it is under the stewardship of a heart captivated by the real treasure of God himself. The power of money is only a reliable power, only a trustworthy power, when it's under the stewardship of a heart that is captivated by the real treasure of God himself. That's the inside part of the story. Money is a powerful good, the Proverbs tells us over and over again. It's a powerful good, listen, to summarize it all, unless it becomes your God. And then it just turns powerful in a different direction. <laughs> make God your wealth. Make him your true city. Turn to him for and significance and hold material blessings with an open hand. Now here's what I want to do briefly this morning. I'm going to send you to your groups. Now I want to say four brief things. I know it seems crazy to believe I could do that. Four brief things by way of summary about the outside part, the practical management of money as a good in our lives. Four brief things by way of summary that the Proverbs return to over and over again about how we handle money. Paul will be back next week to talk more about this. I, um, I want to do that, th these four things, and then I want to close by reading a passage that you have on your handout that gets at all these things, that brings all these things together. Four things briefly this morning. Number one, Proverbs over and over again. Man, I'm on this thing. Proverbs over and over again tells you to earn your wealth honestly. Earn wealth honestly. Okay? Um, don't cut quarters when it comes to your integrity. Never. It's never worth it. 
Work diligently, work well, work creatively, and work honestly. Earn wealth honestly. Number two, manage your wealth prudently. Earn wealth honestly. Number two, manage your wealth prudently. Look at uh, chapter 27, verse 23. Insight, under insight and, um, and warnings. 27, 23. I'm going to read the first part. It says, know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. Now, I, there, there are more verses that fall. This is actually a little section on wealth, but um, th- it begins that way. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. And that means that you are called as a man to know well the resources that have been put under your care. You have to take notes on that stuff. Like, you have to keep a budget. <laughs> um, you have to be actively involved in the management and the stewardship of your resources. Some of us want to take a passive role in the managing of our money for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it's because we're disinterested. Maybe we're intimidated by it. Maybe we're lazy. But stewardship is a command of God that you cannot delegate away. Know where your money is. Know where your money is going. Consider its impact because we will be called to give an account of that which is God has given to, given to us uh, to manage. Know the condition of your flocks. Know where your herds are. Manage your wealth prudently. Earn wealth honestly. Manage it prudently. Number three, give wealth generously. Give wealth generously. There would be no way to, do, uh, to, be, um, uh, um, to be fair to how often the Proverbs talk about giving your money away. Uh, to the church and to the poor. There are more Proverbs on generosity than any other. Chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, the first one we looked at. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That man is a, is a picture of the Old Testament people of God taking the very stuff that they got. Their agricultural produce, the, the, top, the, um, uh, the cream of the crop, and bring it to the Levites, to the church to be used. Bring it first to the people of God to be used for the people of God. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your wealth, not the leftovers. The first fruits, the beginning. Uh, 1431, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But listen, he who is generous to the needy honors him. It's not talking about honoring the poor man. He who is generous to the needy honors his maker. Chapter 3, did you hear that? Honor the Lord with your wealth. Chapter 14, he who is generous to the poor honors the Lord. It's very important. The Proverbs over and over connect generosity to honoring God. Why is that? Because God has been generous to you. (laughs) That's the assumption. God has been generous to you, and you are valuing, you are esteeming his generosity most appropriately when you imitate him in it. You are esteeming his generosity most appropriately when you imitate him in it. Give generously to the church and to the poor. So earn it honestly, manage it prudently, give wealth generously, finally enjoy it gratefully. Enjoy wealth gratefully. Remember, enjoy wealth as a blessing of God, as a token of his grace to you, to be enjoyed, to be spent (laughs) Uh, under his counsel. The material world is to be enjoyed. The creation account assumes this. We should find joy in what God has given us, the material blessings he's given us. Okay, I'm out of time. I want to end this morning. I know it went fast. I want to end this morning not with a story that I've got for you, but actually with a story that Proverbs gives you by reading the final passage in the whole book. Now, you've read the, I, many of you have read this passage before, and it's usually reserved for a, a comment on Mother's Day, right? Um, 
We normally think of this passage as a portrait of what it means to be a godly wife. There's nothing in the text that says that. It just says that it honors her as a godly wife. I want you to hear it this morning as something else. I want you to hear it this morning as a portrait of what it means to be a godly steward, as a man or a woman. Much of this woman's excellence is found in the way that she handles money from the inside out. I want you to listen as I read, and I want you to note all the indications of someone who understands the power and the practical management of money. Here's how it goes. An excellent wife who could find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him harm, uh, good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax. She works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant, and she brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions. She consider, considers a field and buys it. And with the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. That is, she reinvests what she's bought, and she plants again. She dresses herself with strength, and she makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. She perceives that. And her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. Listen to this. She opens her hand to the poor. She reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household or for, uh, snow for her household, for her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, my favorite part. She laughs at the days to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have, many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands. And let her works praise her in the gates. I, I hope you didn't just hear it. I hope you saw it, the picture the Proverbs are trying to give you, as we read. Here's a woman who earns honestly. Here's a woman who manages prudently. Here's a woman who gives generously. She provides for her family, her staff, and the poor. And she enjoys, she laughs. She enjoys what God is giving her gratefully. And something else, it is very clear, is it not? It is very clear in the passage that the power of money in her hand is good. And it is not for God. Now, how do we know that? Well, can you imagine being able to laugh at the days to come if money was your God? Can you say that this morning? Can you honestly say that you can look into the future with all its uncertainty, with all its looming shifts and disappointments and unknowns, and you can laugh? You know, most of the time, we have to distract ourselves from reality in order to laugh. But here is a woman who is fully engaged, who is as aware as anyone, and she is looking into the face of it all, and her heart is light. She is content. How can that be possible? How can that be possible? Clearly, she has entrusted herself to a wealth that she knows is not at risk. 
She's entrusted herself to a joy that she knows she cannot lose. She laughs at the days to come because she is a woman who has entrusted herself to the Lord. It's explicit at the end. Rise up and call her blessed because here is a woman who fears the Lord. And as such, she is not just a woman who is a godly wife. She is an image bearer for you and for me about what it means to become a godly steward of what God has given us. Let me pray together. Let me pray for us. We'll pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. I know it probably felt fast and furious, um, covered a lot of ground. Uh, Lord, would you, um, would you give us what we need in all of it? Um, would you help us to return and to think more deeply, not just superficially? Things, Father, um, one thing that we have in common this morning is we all manage things. We have resources that you've given us to manage, material resources. And so we pray, God, that you would give us great wisdom. And we do pray, O oh Lord, that you would help us to entrust ourselves to you so that we can say, as we look into the future, we can laugh at what is to come. Our hearts are light. We're content because we've trusted ourselves to you. Give us good discussion now, we pray. Um, uh, um, launch us into the rest of the week to do well. In Christ's name.